So how often have you heard about burnout in the workplace, that we need to build more resilience? Well, I'm Chester Elton, and this is my co-author and dear friend, Adrian Gostick. Well, thanks, Chess. Yeah, we are hearing a lot about those topics, and today's guest is going to help us. She's going to talk about this loneliness epidemic that we're seeing uh, throughout not only the working world, but also our personal lives. And we're going to think about and talk about ways to overcome that. As always, we hope the time you spend with us will help reduce the stigma of anxiety at work and in your personal life. And with us today is our new friend, uh, Dr. Karen Dahl. She's a consulting psychologist with 25 years of experience at the intersection of personal well-being and professional development. She is the author of the book, Building a Psychological Fitness. Dr. Dahl has dedicated her career to helping people learn, gain insight, and maximize their potential. Karen, we're delighted to have you on the show. Thanks for finding the time. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Well, Karen, let's start with leaders. We want to think about what, what roles do managers play in, a, in identifying and addressing anxiety and mental health issues in the workplace? Sometimes, you know, whether it's you or we speak to managers, they'll say, whoa, whoa, whoa I'm not a therapist. How am I supposed to do this? So, so help us understand the role that managers play. It's a great question. It's a very relevant question that's getting a lot of airtime out there right now. The way I see it is addressing mental health at work or well-being at work really is looking at shared accountability. So organizations have a responsibility to create an infrastructure that will be sustainable for people and humans. And managers and leaders, I think, have accountability to do their best and do their part to create conditions that are going to help people be set up for success and thrive. And then all individuals, employees, and humans, we have an accountability and responsibility to manage our own mental health. So that personal responsibility is is kind of interesting. You know, this return to work is a big issue right now. Do I am I completely remote? Am I hybrid? Am I mandated to come back into the workplace? It seems like nobody's figured it out really yet. So what are some of your recommendations? Well, I think um Organizations generally are committed at some level. They 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 care about their their workforce and they want people to have strong well-being at work. Yet I, we really haven't quite cracked cracked the code. Um, something that's interesting there's there's so much emphasis on flexibility and hybrid or remote or come back to work uh, models, but but really right now what the research is showing us what we think matters at work. The people are telling us it's actually something a little different. So some of the uh, recent research and surveys that, that have been released indicate that what we think matters the most to people at work is compensation and flexibility. And certainly those are relevant. But what we're learning actually really is mattering to people at work. It, number one is belonging and having that sense of connection and then also mattering at work knowing that they matter, knowing that their work matters, that they're, they're valued and that they're, they're having an impact. That's, and those are things that, you know, coming back to the manager idea, I actually might be able to do something about as a manager. I might be able to help somebody understand that they do belong. And the create, this is part of a community. Their work does matter. 
Um, so I think that's that's good. You know, we're, we're creating a little circle here of, of what we actually might impact as leaders. Um, one thing I'm interested, your book talks about psychological fitness. Uh, I'm sure you thought a lot about that title. And uh, because I think we spend a lot of time thinking about, oh, what am I eating? Am I eating right? Am I getting exercise? Am I doing am I getting the right sleep I need? But you're saying, I think we need to put the same attention into our into our mental fitness that we do our physical. Is that right? Absolutely. And, you know, we've come a long way, thanks to channels like yours of helping to um, have vulnerable conversations and increase awareness of anxiety and and mental health issues to reduce the stigma. Um, But, you know, we all know the things that we could and should and shouldn't be doing to manage our well-being. We get sleep and stay hydrated and get exercise and have nutrition, positive nutrition, yet and we're still struggling. So it's Yes, we need to still pay attention to all those things that are simple and hard to integrate uh, on a daily basis, but also just having the empowerment and the awareness that we have some agency over our mental health. So there are small incremental steps and levers that we can pull to, to pull ourselves more into the thriving zone of the mental health continuum. So when I talk about those practices, I always want to be careful and offer the disclaimer that you know, doing a gratitude practice or something is not going to be sufficient. It's not going to be a sufficient intervention with somebody that has a diagnosed untreated anxiety disorder. Um, Yet, if we're at or above kind of baseline of mental health, there are, we have agency in some of that. And a lot of the research now is, is, I think, making some of those practices a little more accessible. So that was why I wrote the book is just to make some of this information and the science available and accessible um, and maybe less intimidating, which is kind of why I went with the psychological fitness, because we want to focus on preventative things and build upon health rather than just being focused on ill health and dis-ease. Okay, so if I want to be physically fit, I say, look, I'm going to get to the point where I can run a 5K or a half marathon. So give me the equivalent of... Uh, psychological fitness 5k give me a couple of those practical things that i'm sure are included in your book sure yes so so the way i look at it is the the options that are out there the the practices that i have outlined in the book for example really are around fostering resilience and mastering your mindset um, so we can look at top down practices so cognitive reframing or maybe bottom up practices really um I think of all of that as just ingredients and everybody is unique and to be able to flourish, we just need to experiment and, and have some trial and error about which, which of those ingredients are going to make up our own mental health recipe. So, I mean, cognitive reframing and managing our thinking, reducing the volume of the inner critic voice that we all have. Um, We all know the benefits of mindfulness and meditation to help with attention management. Uh, And and I think the the practices in the realm of spiritual well-being are, I think we're just tapping the surface on that. And then the power of connection um, as an accelerator, because I really think that is how we're going to have to crowdsource handling this mental health crisis that we're in, in the workplace or not. Um, Plenty of people have mental health challenges that could be helped 
with support from friends, family, and people in their sphere of influence, and they may or may not need professional clinical um, support, but people are just not knowing what to do. We don't know what to do. It is it is a problem. You know, what is the recipe? What are the ingredients? I, I love that analogy. So how do we spot burnout in ourselves and in coworkers? Because so often, you know, we get so caught up in the project. We get so caught up in our families or whatever we're doing. We don't take that time to do that mental health check. So what are some of the tips that you give people to say, okay, if this is happening, you're burning out. If this is happening, if they're burning out. If this is you're all burning out. I mean, I'm sure you've got a little bit of a checklist for us there. Sure. Well, I think the first thing is just what you mentioned at the beginning of your question, which is remembering to, to take pause and check in with ourselves and do a little okay. inventory to understand how we're doing physically, mentally, emotionally, and um, and how our, our work is, how we are experiencing our work right now. So, I mean, first, it's burnout comes from a demand capacity problem. So managing workloads, that's burnout is mismanaged workplace stress. Um, so if there are excessive demands on somebody, on an employee, that's going to put them at risk for burnout. And interestingly, the people who are most at risk for burnout are high performers who are passionate about their work. And I think yeah, that's where it can, they can, they're, they run a risk. We run a risk of becoming silent warriors. Yeah. So just like doing the thing and I'm motivated by it and I'm energized by it yet. And we all have human limitation and eventually we're going to run out of gas and run out of resource. So I always think, try and think of noticing any changes. So whether it's in ourselves or colleagues or coworkers, if there's a change in their response, if there's a change in how they're showing up, if there's a change in their affect and the components of burnout are exhaustion inefficacy and skepticism so the exhaustion is self-explanatory and the inefficacy is just i'm experiencing a change in my self-efficacy or a change in how effective i feel at work and i think the skepticism really ends up being a distinguishing factor mm -hmm. between what's what's the impact of chronic stress and then what is this condition of burnout and the skepticism is when our attitude changes about work and people start to say, you know, things like, what's what's the point? Or they'll they'll show some, you know, what we call learned helplessness, like, why should I even bother? And having a, a change in their their sense of caring like they typically have about the work. That's really good. That's very insightful, Karen. Um, people are going to wonder, OK, how can I learn more about your work? Where, where would you send them? Well, I'm on LinkedIn. I love engaging with people on LinkedIn, and my website is drkarendahl.com. Well, we encourage people to check you out, as well as the new book, Building a Psychological Fitness. Um, so we've talked about some great strategies. I've, I've taken lots of notes already. But as you know, life gets in the way, right? We've got all the best of intentions. So walk us through some of the common obstacles that you see people, when, they're, when they have good intentions, hitting, and then how we can overcome those. Sure. Well, external obstacles and adversity always can come uh, in our path. I think what probably gets in the way the most is our, our internal challenges and internal monologues. And um, when we start getting uh, triggered and engaging in thinking traps and having internal pressures of I should be doing this, I should be doing that. Um, when upon further investigation, sometimes those assumptions are made up. Um, or 
or embellished or not real. I call them phantom expectations. So when people are feeling pressure of, I should be more productive, I should have gotten this promotion, I should be further along, that generates unnecessary distress. So I really believe if we can, if we can manage the unnecessary distress that we can sometimes um, exacerbate for ourselves, we could really move the needle. You know, I, um, you've got so many great little ways to categorize stuff. I really appreciate it. The phantom expectations, the thinking traps, these are all good ways for me to categorize uh, what's going on here uh, for me. So I've, first, I want to thank you for that. Uh, finally, you, you've written about connections. And um, something I don't think that gets as much attention in mental health mm-hmm. as it should. And it's something that you've written about as being very important. So... How do those living with anxiety get connected when connecting may not be the thing that they want to do? In fact, it may be the last thing they want to do is to reach out for connections. What what advice do you have in that area? Yes. I mean, honestly, I, I kind of wish I would have written my book with that as the headline, oh. um, especially right now in this time is voicing our concern and expressing the need for help and normalizing all that is so important. Um, well, there's, I mean, all the Harvard study is getting a lot of media attention right now. The greatest predictor of longevity is the power of the connections in our lives. And so this is really coming to the forefront as a key indicator for mental and physical health. Um, so, I mean, I, I think that's going to be the path forward of how we make an impact with addressing these mental health challenges is um, encouraging people to have more conversations. Everyone can help someone. We can't help everyone, but we can all help someone. Um, And so I I think encouraging people to, in whatever small way, to do the reach out, even if they don't feel like it, and to help people understand the benefit of that. Because there is somewhere, someone out there that can help for everyone, always. So when you feel depressed or when we feel anxious, the temptation is to isolate. So I think it's that embracing that that dissonance between I'm going to do this thing even though I don't feel like doing it because I know it's good for me. And such good advice. And uh, yeah, this has been great, Karen. Um, we're always interested in the in the self-care tactics of successful people. You're obviously very busy running a business and author. And uh, walk us through a few, a few of the practices you've found personally that help you thrive. As you said, not everything works for everybody. So what have you found that works for you? Sure. Great. Um, I would say, I mean, I exercise. That's kind of the fundamental core well-being practice. Uh, and I tend to be kind of a highly charged person. So my I'm elevated baseline on the anxiety scale. Uh, so the work that I really need to do is cultivating calm and making sure that I am not just moving in fifth gear or if I am in fifth gear, I'm compensating for that or accounting for that in my own energy management and making sure that I'm also um, on the middle path and not overexerting and making sure that I'm taking the time to rest, relax, recover, and not always being in doing mode. So anything around cultivating calm has been useful for me. I'm 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 like a mini med, mini meditator. I do meditate, I do guided meditation, and I do a limited amount. But it's 
much more than not doing anything. <laughs> yeah, that meditation thing, I've been working on that for a few years now. And when you say uh, mini meditation, 10, 15 seconds, I count it. You know, it's yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's, that's, absolutely. That's I mean, a minute can make a difference to just get back to center because really what it is is just strengthening that muscle of getting back to center. Right. Hey, I have one quick question for you before we start to wrap up. You talked about spiritual uh, health and that spiritual connectivity is getting more and more, um, gaining more ground. Talk to a little bit about that because, you know, as we know from the numbers, fewer and fewer people associate themselves with any kind of organized religion. And yet I believe that spirituality is is on the rise. So help me uh, differentiate that for, for people that are saying spiritual well-being. I'm not sure what that means. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we could do a whole nother, we could do a whole nother episode on that. <laughs> I mean, what, what the research says, I know that religion can be um, kind of a polarizing topic, but the research shows that people that are involved in a healthy form of organized re- religion are healthier and have stronger well-being, stronger sense of community. And there are a lot of hypotheses why why that is. Uh, but I think the the transformational nature of being connected to something beyond yourself, I think, is just like that next level. Like this is more than just me. And I think when um, people that that struggle with anxiety or depression, it can become very self-encompassing. And I think that's just like another channel or an outlet or a way to get outside of myself and have a little more of like that transcendent experience that is hard to put into words and and isn't tangible. But if you've experienced a moment like that or an experience like that, then you know that it feels good and you want more of it. So it's just so vast and ambiguous for some people, but yet if you've experienced it, it's very real. Yeah, yeah. Great advice. Hey, we always love to ask at the end of our podcast, if there were two things you wanted people to remember from this conversation, two main points that you wanted to walk away with, what might they be? If you are struggling, ask for help. You will never be alone in the struggle. I mean, that that's 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 actually part of, you know, why I also wrote my book is hearing about people's struggle all day in coaching sessions. And then this universal sentiment that even though there is information out there about anxiety and depression and addiction and whatnot, we have a little more awareness, people still feel like they're the only one. So reach out, acknowledge the struggle, ask for help. There's always somebody. And, um, and then also be the reacher outer check in with our people. Like that's, that is in and of itself powerful. It's free. It could take two minutes of your time telling people you appreciate them or how are you really doing and be, and being present in their response. It's much more uncommon than we think. And this is something we can all do better and do more of. You know, I love that call to action. Be the reacher outer. Is, is that a clinical uh, term? (laughs) (laughs) I know it's, it's very official, isn't it? (laughs) And yet, you know, it conveys exactly right. What what you need to do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this has been wonderful, Karen. Thank you so much for taking time with us today. Our guest has been Dr. Karen Dahl, and uh, make sure you pick up her new book, Building Psychological Fitness. Uh, Thank you, Karen, for being on the show today. We really appreciate learning from you. I'm grateful to be here. Thank you.
Well, Chess, another interesting, you never know. When we get a guest on, we didn't know much about Karen. We you know, glanced over her book, and so you don't know what you're going to get, but some really good takeaways that I, I took away, starting with, um, let's start with the employee perspective. This is anxiety at work. And so what do we think our people are looking for? Or we're looking for compensation, flexibility, but what is all, and this is what we see in our surveys as well. Now, A, I want to belong. B, I want to know that my work matters. Are we focusing on the things that our people really want to bring down anxiety levels? Yeah, isn't it interesting? Because we'll often, the first thing we talk about is what is the compensation? Oh, yeah. Are you moving up or are you moving down? You know? Yeah. And uh, it's so funny because, I, I, you know, as you and I do, we talk to executives, we coach all the time. And this idea of do people on your team really feel like their work matters, that their voice is heard, is, is such an important point. Uh, I like um, the check-ins. You know, uh, giving that pause, how are you doing? Asking yourself, how are you doing? Uh, making sure you're doing your own inventory. And then uh, looking at your team, do I have excessive demands? She made a point that you and I agree with 100% that often the most anxious people on your team, yeah. the people that need the, the check-in, are your high performers. Yeah. You know, they never want to let you down. They'll always take on extra work. Be careful with those. Uh, with yeah, those the, slack, the slackers aren't burning out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right. And and that's it's counterintuitive to what sometimes, you know, leaders think. They go, oh, no, no, I can throw anything at Bob. You know, yeah. you know it's like, no, you can't. And so, you know, and then coming back to practical things, what can we do? Okay, to build our fitness, like that question you asked, you know, okay, if I want to run a 5K, I know I've got to do this, this, and this, so what do I do? So a couple of things, cognitive reframing, right? So changing the way we're thinking about things. No, everybody doesn't hate me. They're all busy or et cetera. And that comes to that reducing the inner critic as well. Um, she talked about meditation, you know, that spiritual side, how important that has become. As you said, people are leaving churches in droves. And yet we have this need as human beings for spiritual connection. So we've got to rethink that perhaps in our lives. And of course, the last one was the power of connection. Are we, you know, are we joining a bowling league? Are we, are we connecting with people past the, you know, Facebook and, 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 uh, and Instagrams? Yeah, yeah. Cultivate calm. You know, we had a really interesting little conversation after we stopped recording. And she said at the end of 27 interviews in a row, what did people really want? And they said they just want to feel at ease. Yeah. You know, you're always that silent worrier that she talked about. And that's, uh, that, that's me every day. Those little silent worries. Something pops and you go, oh, yeah, well, what about that? Well, what about that? Did I do that right? Should I reach out? And, and the other thing, the, the connection that you mentioned, I love uh, her advice at the end. Ask for help. You're never alone. There's yeah. always someone yeah. that will be there. And then... Be the reacher outer. That's a great <laughs> yeah. title for a book. Adrian. <laughs> be, be the reacher outer. You know, um, be the one that people can call or, or reach out yeah. and just say, "Hey, just checking in. How are you doing? Like, really, yeah. how are you doing? Let's yeah. take ten minutes." The people know you're there for them. I mean, that's exactly. that's so great. You know, one of the other things I think it's important to talk about is you know, it's kind of noticing changes in people. We talked about burnout and that idea of skepticism that comes up. Um, you know, sort of that. What's the point? And people changing their behavior. Why? Because they fall into these thinking traps, right? I should be doing right. more. I should already be a millionaire by now. I should already be a vice president by now, whatever it is. Um, these phantom expectations that generate unnecessary stress. So so really, we have to start thinking, I love that she just does it for herself, cultivate calm. Are right. we really thinking through this? Yeah. 
Yeah. And, and, and again, everybody's recipe is a little different. Yeah. There's lots of things you can find out. What is it that works for you? Well, uh, Building Psychological Fitness, the book by Dr. Karen Dahl. Follow her on LinkedIn and karendahl.com. Well, she mentioned a little bit about gratitude, and we are always so grateful. And we give thanks uh, to our producer, Brent Klein, who makes us sound much better than the original recording without a <laughs> question, to Christy Lawrence, who helps us find amazing guests, and to all of you who listen and who've taken the time to you know, invest a little bit of time in your own uh, mental health. Uh, if you like the podcast, please share it with friends and family. We'd also love to have you visit thecultureworks.com for some free resources f- to help you and your team to thrive. And we love speaking to audiences around the world, virtually or in person, on the topics of culture, teamwork, resilience. Give us a call. We'd love to talk to you about your event. And so until next time, by the way, check out the book, Anxiety at Work. Don't forget that. And until <laughs> next time, we wish you the best of mental health.